We're turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're continuing, of course, our study of 1 Samuel. And the books of 1 and 2 Samuel have some great stories and history. And there's people like Saul and David and, of course, David and Goliath and Samuel and all of those things. We're in the first section. And in the first section, we're actually looking at the life of Samuel. He's the prophet, the priest, and the judge. And what we find is we're at a transition point. We are seeing the change of the nation of Israel as they move from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. And we're seeing, of course, Samuel is the last of the judges and Saul is the first of the kings. And, and we're going to see today in our chapter, this is the mark of the change because the leaders actually come to, Saul, to Samuel and they say, we're, we're ready for a king. We want you to... to really give us a king. And we're going to see Samuel's response to this, and we're also going to see God's response. And as we start, let me raise a couple of questions for you. Was it wrong for the nation to have a king? And second, what were the reasons that the people wanted a king? And third, what can we learn about leadership in this passage? I mean, there's a lot in this passage we're going to look about leadership and about kings and, and leader, even leadership in a local church, and so we'll talk about that. You know, leadership is vital. It's vital in our country. It's vital in the local church. I remember a prophet Hendricks at Dallas Seminary saying that churches just, they need leaders. That's probably the problem. The growth of a lot of local churches and believers depends on the godly leadership they have. We found that in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, there are the characteristics of those who are supposed to be in leadership in a local church. When we think about our church, Stillwater Bible Church, we have a board of leaders which are made up of elders and deacons and even trustees, and all are outstanding, all seek to live for the glory of God. I thank God for these men that God has raised up. God has raised these men up over a period of time. Leadership is important. In fact, it's vital. It's important not only in a local church, but it's important in almost everything we do. In fact, this morning we see that because of the failure, let me put it up this way, because of the failure in leadership by the sons of Samuel, this brings up the issue of the nation wanting a king. And so the leaders come to, to Samuel and they want a king. As we look at this passage, we're going to hit on a few things. First of all, we're going to look at this. We're going to talk about the importance of leadership. This is as we go through the passage. And then we're going to see some keys for leadership and even what to look for. Now, as we begin, let's just remember the nation of Israel is under the leadership of Samuel. We watched him be born. We watch him at five years old go to the tabernacle. We watch him be raised by Eli, the priest. And he ends up being a priest. He ends up being a prophet. In fact, God anoints him in a sense that he's a prophet. And it says that none of the words, anything he ever said came true. So he was, he was the prophet of God. And he's a great leader. He turned the nation of Israel back to God. You know that whenever the nation of Israel would turn away from God, they would lose. And that we saw that they lost two big battles to the Philistines. Samuel comes in, turns the people back to God. Praise for them, and they have a great victory. So Samuel is an amazing man, and we're going to see his whole life. In fact, as we get to the passage this morning, he's now become an older person. With the end of chapter 7, if you notice, in chapter 7, verses basically 15 through 17, it says, he was a circuit judge. He was a man who worshiped God. He was a priest and a prophet and a judge. He was a great man. I want you to look at those verses. Chapter 7, it just says, Now Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. It talks about in verse 16 that he would go to three different places. And then I want you to notice verse 17. He returned to his to Ramah. His house was there. And there he judged Israel. And notice the last part of the verse. And he built 
there an altar to the Lord. And that means he was a worshiper of God. He loved the Lord. He loved God. He lived for God. He was a, a prophet of God. He was a priest of God. He was a judge. And we've talked about the judge doesn't mean necessarily a guy with a robe on and making decisions. It was a deliverer. The Hebrew word was sofatim, which means one who delivers, and they would, they would get victory. And so Samuel has led, helped the nation of Israel get the victory over the Philistines. Now, they've come, and there's a change. They've come and asked for a king. We'll see why they wanted a king in just a second. So here's some questions. Is this wrong to ask for a king? Why did they want a king? How did Samuel respond to this? How did God respond to this? And what will it be like with a king? So let me give you the outline of the passage. We're going to see that the people want a king as verses 1 through 5. We realize that in verses 6 through 9, that when they want a king, they're actually rejecting God. And that's what we're going to talk about. And then he tells them, this is what it'll be like living under a king. And then the people get ready and they prepare for the king. So this is what we're going to be seeing. There's a lot of things there. Look at chapter 8. And let me put it up this way. The people want a king. Look at chapter 8. Look at verse 1. It says, now it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now, a number of years has passed. In fact, it could be as much as 30 years have gone by because from chapter se- at the end of chapter 7, they have a great victory and it just tells about his life that he was the judge. When we get to chapter 8, it says, now Samuel is old and he's up in years and he's appointed in positions of authority, his sons. Notice what it says, that he was old and he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. Uh, When we think about leadership and we think about he's appointed them as judges, we realize that there are, there's leadership and authority uh, everywhere. Realize this, that God has levels of authority and submission. Have you thought about this? That the son, Jesus Christ, submits to the father. That man submits to Christ, that the wife submits to her husband, that children submit to their parents, that the church submits to Christ, that the believers in a local church submit to the leadership, that believers in the, in the nation submit to their governments. So there are all kind of levels of authority and submission. Now, when we talk about a local church and we talk about leadership, leadership in the local church, if you went to, and we won't turn there, of course, but 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, and Hebrews 13 all give us places that talk about leadership. And when we think about biblical leadership in the church, there are two offices that, that are listed in the Scripture and that we have, even in our church, they're called elders and deacons. The word elder comes from a a Greek word presbyteros, which means an older person. And the the word deacon comes from a diakonos, which means a servant. And so you have uh, older men who are serving, who are in leadership in the local church. Now, when you think about leadership in the church, I want you to think about how, remember when there's, we're going to do things, how important is leadership? Israel's leadership is vital. The leadership of Samuel Turn the nation back to God. The leadership of Samuel's sons have turned the nation away, and they want a king. So we talk about leadership is vital. It sets the direction for whatever you're doing. The second thing is, what are the keys for leadership? What do we look for? And and just when you think about leadership, and, and just think about in anything, but primarily a local church, you think about character and service. And that's what we, do, we look for. We look for character and service. And when we think about the men in our church who are leaders in our church, that's, that's what we look for, character and service. Let's talk about the idea of 
of character. They're biblically godly men of character and service. So let's think about character. Character is, 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 is it, when you look in the scripture, it's an idea that starts off with an overarching principle, and that is above reproach. And then they list all kind of different areas. And in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, it talks about character and relationship to himself, character and relationship to family, his relationship to other believers, his relationship even to unbelievers. And so that a person is going to be in a place of leadership must be a man of character in all of those areas. The second thing that he talks about, that he must be a servant, leadership is servanthood. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a, be a servant. And they came to Jesus that one time, and they wanted to play places of leadership. And he said, listen, in the world, uh, in the world, leaders are bosses. But with us, it's not that way. If you want to be great, become a servant. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So Jesus Christ said, if you want to be great, you have to be a leader. Uh, when we, sometimes we interview people, and, and you, we... we uh, pick leadership usually about once a year, and it's usually in the fall. And uh, that's when we ask people to nominate some people that they would like to put into places of leadership. And when we talk to people, one of the first things we talk to them about is, is these characteristics. Sometimes we'll have a guy, he'll sit there and he'll say, well, you know, it doesn't matter to me. All I really want to do is serve. That's exactly what we're looking for, somebody who wants to serve. And, and you know, here's the thing, too. When people get into leadership and ministry, it's because they're servants. Years ago, years, I mean, we're talking about 25 years ago, I was at another place, uh, a man came to me and he said, one of the men in the church, he said, hey, I got this guy in our church, he's really a, a good man, we need to put him in leadership so he'll start serving. And even though I was young in leadership in those days, I said, no, 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 we don't need to put him in leadership so he'll serve, he has to be serving before we put him in leadership. That's how it works. And that is true. And so if a person wants to be in leadership in a, in a church or really almost in anything, they need to be servants. They need to be using their gifts, talents, and abilities. And so we see that Samuel has appointed his sons. Now, let's look at this. Look at verse, uh, verse 1 again. It says, he appointed his sons as judge over Israel. And then verse 2 says, now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they were judging, basically, in Beersheba. Now, they were in Beersheba. Now, here's a question. I want to show you something on the map. Beersheba is way down here. Samuel, where Samuel actually is living, Ramah, is not even on the map. It's up here. Why were they down there? It doesn't tell us at all. It doesn't tell us why they're down there. Did Samuel send them down there? Or did they just go down there? We don't know. But anyway, whatever they're doing, it's not very good. And we'll talk more about it. Look at verse 3. It says, it says his sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain, and took bribes and perverted justice. So here's the problem is, they're not like Samuel. Samuel was honest. Samuel was a prophet. Samuel was godly. When you look at Samuel's life, it says that as a prophet, whatever message he got from God and he spoke it, it always came true. At the end of Samuel's life, we're going to see it in the next chapter or two, he stands up before the people and he says, have I ever cheated anyone or judged incorrectly in all my years? And the people say, You've always done right. So he's a great man. He is honest. He was a brother. But what does it say about his sons? It says that they took money, that they took bribes, and they were in it for the money. When you look at the Bible about leadership, anybody that's in leadership does not do leadership for the money. You can't do it that way. In fact, First Peter chapter 5 says, you don't do it for gain. You do it because you want to shepherd the flock and oversee it. And sometimes when you talk about shepherding the flock, you think of me as the shepherd, but all of us shepherd each other. 
And so we're all in this thing together. And so they, they were wrong. They, they took bribes. They took money. And uh, so here comes the leaders. Look what happens. Verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. Now, Ramah uh, was the place where Samuel lived, and the elders come. I want you to understand that in the families and in the tribes of Israel, there were the older men who were the leaders. They're called the elders of Israel. They decide to come and see Samuel. You remember? Samuel is the judge. Samuel is the prophet. And Samuel is the priest. So he's, he's big time. I mean, he's one of the few people that was both a prophet and a priest. And he's also a judge. So he was just an unusual leader. And so they decide to come to him. And look at verse 4 again. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. They, they'd come to talk to him. And they're going to ask for a king. Watch verse 5. And they said to him, Behold, you've grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Well, they come, and they're going to give him some reasons. They want to give him reasons why they think they need a king. Number one, Samuel, you're old. You are. You've gotten old. Somebody's going to have to take your place. You're not going to live forever, and you're now old, so we've got to have somebody else. Your sons are not good. They're bad. They're not like you. We don't want them to be leaders for us. We don't want them to be judges for us because they're not good. And third, we want a king so we can be like all the other nations. Look at that. And again, he says, appoint us a king for us to judge us like all the nations. That's the end of verse 5. So let's stop for a minute. Is it wrong for them to ask for a king? They've come to ask for a king. In fact, if you look back, and don't turn there, but in Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 and 15, he actually says when you come into the land, there's going to be a time that, you will, that you'll have a king. So the problem is not asking for the king. The problem is going to be it's the wrong time and it's the wrong reasons. And we'll, we'll see that. And we also know this, that according to the book of Genesis, the king was going to come from the tribe of Judah. That's where he's supposed to come from. We're going to find that when they pick a king, when a king gets picked, he's going to come from the tribe of Benjamin. So we got a problem right at the start, and we'll talk about it as we go through it. Notice what they said. Your sons are old. You've grown old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. God set the nation of Israel apart so they would not be like the other nations. I want to stop for a second. When God chose the nation of Israel and brought them, basically, he, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, they went down to Egypt, they come out with about, you know, all those, all those people coming out, uh, two million people coming out. That's a nation of people. And he said, I'm, I'm setting you apart. He took them to Mount Sinai. He gave them a law. He said, here's the kind of clothes you can wear. Here's the way you do your crops. Here's the food you can eat. Here's the sacrifices I want you to do. Here's a temple, a tabernacle I want you to build. I want you to be different than every other nation. And that's what he wanted. And, and now they're saying, no, 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 we, wanna, we don't want to be like every other nation. I mean, we don't want to be separate. We want to be like every other nation. And I want you to understand something. In other nations... The king was God, but in Israel, God was the king. See, what Israel didn't realize is they're asking for a king. They already have a king. Who is the king? It's God. God's the king. God's ruling everything. God's working everything. God oversees everything. And so they've come and they've asked for a king to be like everybody else. Now, sometimes we, we don't always think about this, but 
As believers, we're supposed to be different than everybody else. God has called us to set us apart, to be like him, to be holy. We are called saints, set apart ones. Sometimes the problem we see today is the people who are believers, who are Christians, we don't look a whole lot different than the world. In fact, we just basically said we want to be like them. We want to go to the movies and do the things they do and read the things, you know, say the things, do the things they do. Instead of being separate, and I don't mean legalistic, I mean be godly men and women. We're called saints, that means set apart one. The Greek word is hagios, which means set apart. And he's called us children of God, and he's called us saints, and we're to be different people than the world. And as we talked about in our grow group, we show people that we're different by our love one for another. That's what sets us apart. It's not a law system, it's not legalism that sets us apart, it's our love for each other and our love for the world. And that's what the whole thing is, and we're supposed to be different people as we live righteously and godly in this fallen world. How, how are we to be different? Well, we're to walk worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy of the calling which you've been called. What is our calling? We're children of God. We're saints. We're set apart men and women. We're to live out who we are. The second thing is found in Philippians where he says we're to be lights in a fallen world. Philippians 2.14 and 15, I love the passage. It says, do all things without grumbling and complaining so you may prove yourself to be innocent and blameless children of God above reproach in which you stand as lights in the world. In fact, we're to be above reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation in which we stand, which we shine as lights in the world. When we go out these doors, we're to be different people, different than the world. We come together. We're here to worship our Savior. We're here to be trained and equipped. We scatter out in that community to evangelize and to serve, and we're to go out as different people. We don't want to be like everybody else. Israel is now saying, we want to be like all the other nations. God says, you're not supposed to be like all the other nations. And sometimes Christians say, well, I want to do this, and I want to listen. You don't want to be like the world. The world is passing away. You want to be like Jesus Christ. You want to be lights in a fallen world. Wow. So powerful. So now they've come and they, they, they've said they want, to be, they want a king to be like all the other nations. Well, we're going to see that this is really the people rejecting God. I want you to see what happens. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now I want you to think you're Samuel. All you can remember from the time you're five years old and up is you've been a priest serving in the tabernacle. You've grown up. Eli's dead. you now become the main priest. You're now the judge, and you're the prophet of Israel, and you're important, and everybody has followed you for all these years, and now suddenly they come to you and say, you're old, your kids aren't any good, we need a king, and you feel rejected. Samuel felt rejected. He thought, wait a minute, what have I done all my life? I, I've just, I've helped y'all, and what are you saying to me now? It says the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. You know what? Samuel thought that they were rejecting him. See, Samuel thought they were rejecting him. Look at verse, at verse 6. It says the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel, and they said, give us a king to judge us. You could, he could look at them and say, aren't I good enough? I'm a judge. I've been judging this thing for all my whole life. What's the problem? And so he, he thought they rejected him. And so what does he do? It says, and Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now, he did the exact right thing. 
whenever some trials come, whenever problems come, whenever's going on in our lives, the first thing we need to do is really turn to the Lord. In fact, that's what we should do. We should pray. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds. Listen, when we make our requests known to God, we'll not worry. We let it be known, and the peace of God comes in our life. So there are times when we, have, we turn to God. This is exactly what Samuel did. He turned to God. And, 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 and first, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it liberally. So when times come, when problems come, the first thing you should do is turn to the Lord and say, Lord, help me through this. I want to see this right here. Give me some wisdom. Help me see what I should do. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And look what the Lord says. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. What? What? Why? Well, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. See, God says they've not rejected you. They've rejected God. See, God is their king. They're asking for an earthly king when they already have the heavenly king. And they're missing it. And that's what he's saying to them. He's saying, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. It's not you they're rejecting. It's me they're rejecting. In fact, this is what they've always done. Look at verse 8. He said, like all the deeds which they've done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, and they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they're doing to you also. They've always done this. They've always rejected. If you thought about this, the nation of Israel goes into Egypt. They become slaves. 400 years. God uses Moses. They come out. They get out. Uh, and, and when they come out, they put the Passover lamb. They come out. The Egyptians give them all kind of money and gold and everything. And they come out and they're all happy. They get right to the Red Sea. And as soon as they look like they're in trouble, they turn around and go, what is God doing? Why did he bring us out here? This is ridiculous. So he parts the sea. They go all the way across. The enemy drowns. They get to the other side. They're all happy for a minute. Then they can't find any water. So what do they say? This is ridiculous. God brought us out here. He's got and, they, and then he takes them to somewhere else, and they say, we don't have any food, and then he brings in food. They gripe the whole time. He says, this is exactly what they're doing now. He says, I'm their king, and they want another king. And, and when you really think about it, it just think about back in... As they, as they traveled by, in, in the Old Testament, it was a cloud by day and fire by night. God's presence was there. But you know what they did? Moses left, went up on top of the mountain. He's gone 40 days. What'd they do? They said, we don't even know what happened to Moses. Let's go back and let's make our own gods. And they made a golden calf right in the midst of all this. So God says, they're rejecting me just like they've been rejecting me all the time. And then he says something in verse 9. He says, listen to their voice. However... You shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure, tell them of the custom, what it's like, of the king who will reign over them. He says, you can tell them. Tell them. Tell them. We'll give them a king, but let's warn them. Let's tell them what a king is like. And you know what? Uh, when people want somebody to rule over them, sometimes they think it's going to be better, but a lot of times it's not better. And I want you to think about this. Even the best of men are fallen and there'll be problems. It doesn't matter what kind of leader you get. You may say, this is a great president. This is not a great president. This is a great leader. This is a great pastor. This is a great... Listen, all people, are, all people fall. All people fail. They're, all are fallen. There's going to always be problems with any human being. The only perfect king is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one of these days, he's coming to the earth, 
He's going to set up a kingdom that will last for a thousand years, and he's going to set up a kingdom. It's called the eternal kingdom that will go on for all time, and he'll be the perfect king. Because some people say, well, you don't want like a, you know, one ruler. Yeah, you want a one ruler if he's perfect. And that's Jesus Christ. He is the perfect king. Well, they're asking for a king. They're saying, give us a king. And he says, well, give them a warning. Give them a warning. So we're going to see what's it going to be like being under a king. And we'll go really quickly on this. So what's the warning? What's it, what's it going to be like if you live under the king? What's it going to be like? And so I'm going to put this up here for you. Uh, he's, going to, he's going to do this. He's going to take your sons and make them soldiers and servants. That's verses 11 and 12. It says, He will take your sons, place for himself chariots and horsemen, and they'll run before him. Verse 12 says, He'll have you know thousands and fifties and harvest and make weapons and do everything. Then he says, He's going to take your daughters, and they're going to serve him. They're going to work in the kingdom. In verse 13, he says, Your daughters will be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Then he's going to take the best of your fields for himself. Verse 14, he'll take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves. And you go, what? And then look at this next one. You'll pay taxes. You go, what? Taxes? What's taxes? That's when they take stuff. Oh. He's going to get a tenth of your land and get a tenth of your animals. He's going to take stuff. Now, they already gave a tenth of everything they had to the priests and Levites as offerings to take care. So now they're going to be given, if you got a king, you're going to give another tenth. Look at verse 15. He says, he'll take a tenth of your seeds and your vineyards and give them to his offers and servants. And in verse 17, he'll take a tenth of your flocks and yourself and that you'll, of your servants. And then finally, he'll even take your servants. Verse 16. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys, and, and he'll use them all for his work. He's going to take everything. See, when a king becomes the king, they pretty much control anything they want because you're king, right? I did, I've been doing some reading and studying on, on the history of some of the kings of, kings of England and the kings of France and, and just background. I mean, and, you know, when they became king, they did anything they wanted to do. They said, kill that person. Kill this. Do this. Do this. Bring me food. Bring me this. Where's my chair? And that's what a king does. They, they, have, they have power. Well, they're asking for a king and... Samuel says, if you get a king, he's going to do this. He's going to take the men and make them soldiers. He's going to take the women and make them work. He's going to take the best of your fields. He's going to take a tithe off the fields of, of animals and produce. He's going to tax you. He's going to do all of these things. And then he says in verse 18, and when you cry out in that day because of your king, they're going to say, oh, we don't like this. When you cry out because of the king whom you've chosen for yourself, the Lord will not answer you in that day. You know what he says? You want a king? You got a king? Don't gripe about a king. I told you what it was going to be like before you had a king. Now you're mad and you want it changed. It's too late. You're going to have a king. And that's what's going to happen. And by the way, man with power always takes advantages of power. Listen, all people are fallen. And when anybody gets in places of power, they use that power, and oftentimes they use that power in a bad way. The old saying is, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and it is true. And a lot of times people get in places of leadership or power, and then they rule it over people. That's why Jesus said, if you want to be a leader, the world rules it over people in their leadership, but with God... We are servants. We don't rule it over. And that's the difference. And so he says, this is what's going to happen when you ask for a king. And you know what? The people want a king. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, 
There, we, but there shall be a king over us. And I'll read the rest of it in just a second. But I want you to stop. Samuel has been with them since he's five years old. Been with those people. He's grown up. He's a grown man. Now he's old. He has spent his whole life ruling and everything that he ever taught, if he was a prophet, he said something that came true. If he was a judge, he helped them. If he was a priest, he helped them. And now listen to what it says. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. Here he comes. He's giving them advice. He says, listen, now this is not the thing to do. This is not what you want. This is not what you need. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to him. And they said, we shall have a king over us. And watch what it goes on to say. So that we may be like all the nations. We want to be like everybody else. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Do you know who wins the battles? It's not the king. When the nation of Israel was turned away from God and they fought the Philistines twice, they lost twice. When the nation of Israel were turned back to God, they fought the battle, they won. Listen, victory, victory is not by the kings. God gives the victory, not the kings. They're wanting a king to go out and fight their battles. You know, we're going to see that they're going to get a king, his name is Saul, and he's real tall and handsome and everything. And when they get into a battle with the Philistines, you remember what happens? They want a king to go out and fight for them. So they all line up, and here come the Philistines, and this guy comes out named Goliath, and he's nine feet, nine inches tall. And he says, pick out somebody and come fight me. And everybody looks over at Saul, because he's the tallest, and he should be the one fighting. And Saul goes, I don't know about this, right? They wanted a king. It didn't help them. Listen, God fights the battles, not the king. God gives the victory. And so the problem is they want a king like everybody else. So look at verse 21. After Samuel had heard the words of the, of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. I, I always think it's kind of funny because it says he heard what they said, so he went and told the Lord. Do you think the Lord didn't already know? But he did. He did. He just went and told him. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go, every man to their city. God is going to work out the plan. And what they're going to do is they're going to go to every city, then he's going to bring in the heads of the families, and from the heads of all the families, they're going to cast lots, and the lot is going to come up on the one who's going to be the king. Now, who's it going to be, and how do they know? And we'll see it as we go through this. They're going to ask for a king. His name is Saul. That's who they're going to get. Saul was tall and handsome. They wanted one that looked, looked really good, to lead them. Sometimes we ask for things, and when we get them, it's not the best thing for us. See, God, God is a great God, and God allows us to make choices. And sometimes we say to God, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this. And he says, listen, I know you want that, but that's really not best for you. And sometimes he lets us get what we want. Have you ever in your life prayed for something and say, I want this, I want this, I want this, and then you got it and say, I wish I didn't have this? It sometimes happens. The nation of Israel is going to say, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. When they get a king, they say, we don't want a king. Too late. We'll see what happens. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Let's, let's realize the importance of leaders and leadership. Failure in leadership has opened the people up to want a king because it's the failure of Samuel's sons, and they want a king. 
And so as we think about this, let's appoint leaders in the local church according to the Bible. And we do that. And by the grace of God, we've done that as a church, that from the day we started this church and the people we, that, that God raised up and we put in leadership, so to speak, it's, it's, we've done it the right way. We went back. It's always based on character and service. It goes back to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. We want men of character in relationship to themselves, relationship to their family, and to relationship to others, whether believers or unbelievers. You have to be men of character. And we also have to be men who serve, who serve God and serve others. And they have to be men who use their gifts, talents, and abilities. I mean, l- let me say this, and, and I've said it earlier, but you don't, you don't put somebody in leadership so they can start serving. They have to already be serving. They have to already be men of character to be in places of leadership. And that's what he talks about. The second thing is pray, pray for the leaders of Stillwater Bible. We got some incredible men. If you don't know them by name, in fact, this week, if you get a chance, just sit down one, in your quiet time, one of your quiet times this week, and say, I'm going to pray for the leadership. And if you, if you don't know the names of the people in leadership, you can call the church. We'll give you all the names. Or you don't even have to use their names. God knows their names. Just say, Lord, let me, let me pray for the elders and deacons, the leadership in the church, and, and pray for them. The third thing, this is a harder one. This is a harder one. Pray for the leaders of our nation. First uh, Timothy chapter two verses one through four says, "Actually, pray for those who are in leadership, and, and, and the government aspect of it." And it actually says, "Pray the, so that we may live a quiet life and peaceful life." What we really want them to do is leave us alone. You know, that's exactly right. And you know, sometimes it's hard to pray for leadership. It's hard sometimes to pray for people that you don't respect. And sometimes God is the one. You got to understand something. God lays, raises up kings, and He sits down kings. And we need to pray for people in leadership. And what we need to pray is maybe uh, if you don't agree with some of the things they say or do, maybe pray that God to change them. And, and maybe it'll match more of the scripture or something like that. And so it's pray for our, our leadership and pray that it'll be godly and pray that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, good things can come out of this. The second thing is let's just be different from the world. Let's be holy people. Living for God rather than for self. It is easy to be like the world because the world lives for itself. And so we want to do this. We want to be, as Philippians says, we want to be lights in the midst of a, you know, a crooked and perverse generation. We want to shine as lights in the world. We want to do good so that God would be glorified. Jesus said, let your good works shine, your good deeds shine before men so that your Father in heaven will be glorified. We want to live in such a way that God gets all the glory. And we want people to look at us and say they're different. You know, why are they different? Because they love each other. And they love other people. That's what it's talking about. We want to be holy, godly people who love one another. Understand that when we disobey the word of God, we are disobeying God. I mean, the nation of Israel, they've already told them, you don't need a king. You shouldn't ask for a king. You've already got a king. The king is God. And they say, we want a king anyway. And you could say, well, you're disobeying God and his word. And when you disobey the word of God, we're disobeying God. And sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, well, I'm not going to do that. And you say, well, you're disobeying the word of God. Well, but you got to understand, when you disobey the word of God, you're disobeying God because this is his word and this is what he's told us. And last but not least, just remember this, that the only perfect leader is Jesus Christ. We all come short of the glory of God. Anybody in leadership will tell you right off, listen, we, the grace of God, we get to be leaders and, uh, you know, pray for us and we're not perfect. And so what we all want to do is I, as leaders or anyone, we want to serve him now. 
so that we can reign with him later because he is the perfect king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we want to reign with him. We want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we want to reign with him forever.